and welcome along to the Property Academy Podcast. I'm your host, Eva Knight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. I'm Matt Harris. Hey, there's two stars of the show. <laughs> we are once again joined by Matt Harris, who is from Momentum Property, a property accountant and property investor. And Matt, I'm quite surprised the topic you've given us. This was one of your ones, how to get rich for certain. I'm looking forward to figuring out how we're going to get rich for certain today with property. But just walk us through, are there any disclaimers you want to give before we rock into this? (laughs) No, absolutely not. I put that topic down because I get a lot of people who think, you know, property's going to get them rich quick. And I think we all know in life, there is no such thing as get rich quick. But there is get rich for certain. So how do we start getting rich for certain with property? How do we do this? It's a pretty simple concept and I call it incremental gain over time, which is pretty much just something I coined to explain it to clients. And it's actually, it's five to six things that occur. Do you want me to run through it? Let's run through it and then we'll dig through it in some more detail. Yeah, awesome. So in short, when we deal with property, the first thing that we want to do is buy well. The second thing that we want to do, if possible, is add value. Then we need to wait for capital appreciation to occur. So that's one and two, so buying well and adding value, and then it's time. And the time period will very much depend on how the market is going and what part of the cycle that you're in. Then we've got mortgage reduction over time. If you're on a P&I mortgage, every payment you make will reduce the mortgage slightly over time. Following that, we have increases in rent. And then the sixth part of it is what I call optimization. So it is taxation, it is structures, it is ensuring appropriate deductions, ensuring you have the best interest rate possible, good insurance, restructuring. You know, it's multiple things that add up to this incremental gain over time. Well, let's walk through this step by step then. In terms of buying well, we've talked a little bit while you've been on the show, but what do you consider to be the definition of buying well? Do we always have to be buying 20% under value? No, of course not. I think any time you can get a discount to a property's true value, you're doing well, even if it's only $5,000. So there's a number of ways that you can buy well, and this isn't an exhaustive list, but I'll rattle off a couple of them. So in Auckland, for example, deferred maintenance is a real problem. Everyone's been out to a nice neighbourhood like Mount Eden, and you're driving along, there's five nice villas and one that just looks like it needs a paint and the garden's overgrown. There is distressed sales, so that's mortgagee sales, bankruptcy sales, uh, deceased estates. Earthquake damage, which is something that we've talked about a bit on the show that, that both Andrew and I, Andrew especially, had a lot of experience with. And then, you know, the other places which are sometimes overlooked where you can buy well is family. Quite often, I have clients come into my office and their parents or their uncle or aunties offering to sell them something that's yeah. undervalued. Yeah. And Andrew, for example, was selling a property to one of his friends undervalued. That's opportunity. That's buying well. That's generally the easiest place to get a, a good price. And then let's move on to the second one in that instance, which is adding value. Are you doing this for every property? No, not necessarily. And it depends on the makeup of your property. So new builds, obviously, you can't add value to. But the value in a new build is different. When you purchase a new build property, generally, you've got a longer time frame to settlement. In that time, in a rising market, you will make capital gain, and that's free. So most clients buying a new build at the moment making between fifty and hundred grand before settlement. That's the easiest buying well I've ever seen. In addition to that, they're also going to win twice because they can rent them easy, no maintenance issues. Mm. So as a result, they have low maintenance and 
low costs. You're not going to be going in and doing a renovation Correct. project and tidying up the landscaping. Yeah. So, so these six steps are a good checklist, but you might not use every single one of no, them. No, and to give you an example, actually, when people are struggling to understand what incremental gain is, I, I usually ask them to think about either their own owner-occupied house or a property their parents have bought. Incremental gain occurs to all properties, regardless of their investment or not. Mm. If you ask your parents what they paid for their property 10 years ago, they'll probably give you a number which will make you scream or cry or laugh or both, <laughs> all of them. But then they'll also would have been reducing their mortgage steadily. Mm. So they have had incremental gain or parts of that incremental gain. But the adding value in the buying well, the adding value is renovations generally. Less is more. Sometimes it's subdivisions, sometimes it's minor dwellings. But what you're doing when you add value and buy well is you are speeding up the incremental gain that would have occurred otherwise anyway. And then we get on to time in this case, and you're specifically talking about capital growth. I guess that's what you're talking about with parents purchasing a property, holding it for 10 years and it going up over time. I guess the important thing in terms of thinking about that word incremental is that at times it can be quite unnoticeable, particularly if it's your own home because you're not thinking about it all the time. Yeah, until you get the new rates bill and they've done a review, you don't notice it. That's correct. And what I do find with property investment to be true is that it happens slowly at first and then it starts to speed up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Because you're getting growth on your growth, it's compounding. Certainly you might notice a property go up you know, $10,000 one year and 10000 the next year and then be flat. But then you might get, like we're seeing at the moment, $50,000 increases within 12 months or even 100000 or more. And that can average out to a reasonably attractive increase over time. I just ran the figures actually for a piece of compliance that the FMA wanted. And over the last 29 years, which the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand has been running their house price index, New Zealand house prices have increased about 7.02% per year. So just about that 7% is quite an astounding growth rate. But of course, it happens in fits and starts. We're in a, in a boom at the moment. It'll level out for a time and increase again at some point. Yes, it will. And that's why when you buy well and you add value, you put yourself ahead of the curve. Yes. You're less susceptible to market shock. And walk us through as well mortgage reduction. So this is step number four. So we've had the buying well, the adding value. We talked about capital growth. Mortgage reduction. Obviously pretty simple. If you're on a principal and interest mortgage, so otherwise known as a table mortgage, when you make payments, your mortgage will reduce. And it goes back to what I said before about timing. At the start of a table mortgage, very little comes off the principal and quite a lot goes on interest. But as time goes on, that starts to reverse. And when you get down to the end of a 25-year or 30-year term, you know, lots is going on principal and very little on interest. So I know that not all investors do P&I, and I'm not saying that you only have to do P&I. Interest only is really common in a number of circumstances, high-value properties, when you're aggressively trying to build a portfolio. But I think ultimately, if I had a client who's been on interest only for 10 years, somewhere along the line, they're going to have to switch to P&I. Are there certain criteria that you would consider before you'd recommend someone go on to principal and interest? Yeah, it is investor specific. Yes. And I think what I like about interest only is that it allows you to build a portfolio a bit quicker and it takes the pressure off new investors. Yes. Off their cash flow. You know, mortgage reduction over time is part of the incremental gain and also restructuring and refinancing. It is something that investors don't do enough. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 
certainly in that pilfered or protected webinar, I think we gave some examples of people who could maybe, you know, restructure properties that were owned in their own names that now could go into a look-through company or an investment trust, take out the equity, pay down personal debt to get a better tax position, things like that. And, and people, because it is a bit of a set and forget investment a lot of the time, they do literally set and forget it and don't go back to see their broker, don't go back to see their accountant and actually talk about whether or not there's better ways to do it. There's actually a course that I was doing last week and I was working on some case studies of potential investors and there was a comment made in one of them that they were really happy with their accountant. Their, I'm not an accountant, but the structure that they'd used was horrendous and sometimes it's worth also going and chatting to someone who is a property investment expert because this accountant had been giving them the advice that their property portfolio was performing well. It was performing well, but the structure that they were using was pathetic. Well, if producer David is nice enough as well, he'll remind us to link that webinar in the show notes, which would be fantastic. And I guess what's important to notice as well is that maybe you've got all your investment properties that are on interest only, but you're doing that so you can aggressively pay down your personal mortgage. That's still a type of debt reduction that is going to help you get rich over time through property as well, if that's what you're focusing on paying down, because that would be the most tax efficient is usually what we'd talk about. Correct. And if we look at a portfolio in totality, it does include the unoccupied house. It is going through an incremental gain cycle. If you're paying that mortgage down, then you know no difference because a bank, you, anyone's going to look at your whole financial position and include all properties and all debt. Well, let's move on to step number five of the Matt Harris incremental gain model, which is increasing rent over time. <laughs> you like the fact that we're going to name it after oh, you. I there we go. We'll it. put it on the website no, and make we it official. We'll just edit it out and change it to our name afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so, something we'd never do. But talk to us about look, increasing rent. I think increasing rent is very important. And landlords or property investors in New Zealand are traditionally being very, very bad at it. And when we had ring fencing come in, for so for listeners that are not aware, that simply means you cannot claim investment property losses against other types of income. I really thought we'd start to see a change in behaviour where people would have to go look at their portfolio, make sure that their interest rates were correct, their insurances, their rents. We did see a bit of that in the beginning, but what happened, which was probably pretty lucky for property investors, was that interest rates halved in about a 12-month period. So generally it takes about five years for interest rates to half, mm. happening in 12 months due to economic conditions, quantitative easing, global climate. And so what that meant is that a lot of those portfolios started to go from negative to neutral to positive. Nevertheless, in my rental property contracts for the tenants, I write an annual 3% increase. Now, I don't always implement that, but I have the right to do it. Just walk us through that clause. So you're going to insert it into your tenancy agreement yes. that you've got the right to increase it by 3% every single year. Don't you have the right to increase that anyway? Correct, well, I do. But what I'm doing is I'm setting the expectation yeah. up front that it will occur. And I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm asking them to sign it. Yeah. And I don't always do it. I've had a couple lately where I've looked at them and gone, they're actually getting good rent. Yep. They're good tenants. There's no need. But also just setting that standard to begin with, yep. the expectations there, all of a sudden people aren't shocked when it happens. The increase in rent over time in New Zealand has been, on average, somewhere between 37 and 4.2%. How do you come to the 3% mark? That's generally what inflation runs at, and you're probably better placed to tell me what the inflation figure currently is in New Zealand. But I think one part of incremental gain, which I didn't mention, and actually one part of being a property investor, is inflation's very real. 
we have inflation and then we also have devaluing of our dollar. Mm. Uh, and at the moment, you can see that there's certain things that uh, our buying power is very low. So property mm. is a really good example. Yes. And we're saved a little bit by those low interest rates because yes. last year's a million dollars is this year's $2 million. Yes. So there's a lot of indicators yeah. in our discussion about why the property market is how it is. But either way, the buying power of our dollar decreases every year automatically. So you need to account for that when you're doing your forecasting and yep. when you're doing your planning. I expect that we'll probably see a significant rise in the number of tenancy agreements with written down uh, increases every year and in there. 3% is not very much. If someone's no. paying $400 in rent a week, you know, a 3% increase isn't going to dent their pocket that That's much. Right. That's right. And Matt's just a nice guy when it comes to being a landlord. Oh, it's the nicest. Well, Good I was going to ask you, <laughs> just in terms of defining the difference between this, so if you didn't put a clause in there that had a set amount of increase per year, then the increase would be led by whatever the market had decided was the new rent. And then the tenant has the ability to challenge that if they really want to. Do you know Typically it? doesn't happen. If you write this clause in, do you have the right to circumvent that? Yes, you do. Amazing. Does that mean that you have any challenges if you increase it by 10%, for example? Look, I haven't done that. Yes. And I think probably the answer is, it could be challenged. Yes. It comes down to the type of landlord that yes. you are, yes. the type of properties you own and the type of tenants that you have. And if you've got good tenants and you're a good landlord and you've, they've got a nice property, you generally don't get too much argument yeah. when the time comes yeah. to raise the rents. And I suppose in many ways this possibly works better for the tenant to understand that there is going to be an increase over time. And then it also stops the one-off increases. So if yes. you leave rent low for a long time and then you have to make a structural adjustment to really bang up that rent, then that's potentially going to really hurt the tenant. Whereas if it's slowly over time, they can adjust. Absolutely. Correct. That's right. And, you know, being a landlord means you rely on tenants. It's just like being a business owner. You rely on staff. You can't do it alone. And this is why I don't get the amount of landlord bashing in New Zealand. Uh, most landlords are just ordinary people, mum and dad investors yes. that are trying to grow their wealth, but also yes. they're adding to the housing supply. Most of them are nice people and they're fair to deal with. Can I get an amen? <laughs> <laughs> so these are our five steps to get rich for certain with property, buying well, adding some value, getting some capital growth, reducing the mortgage, increasing rent over time, and then optimising that portfolio through structure and finance and tax. Now, certain's a strong word. Last question for you, Matt. Does it ever go wrong? Of course it does. However... For long-term buy and hold investors, I don't see it go wrong very often. And that's because at the end of the day, you have a tenant paying the outgoings. You've got bricks and mortar, which is generally immovable. So obviously, you know, some natural vents do affect that. Uh, and we've <laughs> mentioned it. some of those moving along. But ultimately, you know, the main shock to property investors is leverage. And if they've leveraged too highly and the business goes under, they lose their jobs. That is when I see problems. Most of those things nowadays can actually be minimised by insurances. Loss of earnings insurance, for example, is something that most property investors should have a level of just in case something goes wrong. Otherwise, I can pretty much guarantee that if you implement an incremental gain over time strategy and you wait the required 8 to 10 years, you will get rich for certain. Fantastic. Let's wrap it up there. But just before we do... I want to ask you how. Now, we are very excited. We've just hit our 1 million downloads. Amazing. But now we want to take this community to the next level. And to do that, we need to ask for your help. And to say thank you, we're going to take you out for dinner. So we're going to go to each of our major centres where we have an office, Christchurch, Wellington, Auckland and Queenstown. And we're going to take about 20 of you out for dinner. So you and a friend can go in a drawer 
to come along to dinner to hear Ed's economics and my hilarious jokes and have me buy the wine, so long as it's house wine. <laughs> and of course, meet each other as well. So if you want to come along to that, we don't think we're going to be able to take everybody out, but we will take 20 out. So we're going to have a draw. Now, how do you enter that? Well, we need three things in order to grow this show. First of all, we would love you to follow us on Instagram. We are at opas underscore partners. And also to grow the community, we'd love if you could share something about the podcast on your Instagram or Facebook story and tag us in. And then, of course, we'd also love it if you could give us a review on wherever you listen to this podcast. Now, if you take a screenshot of each of those and send it to podcast at opaspartners.co.nz, that'll get you in the draw, which we'll make next month. listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Epic Knight. And I'm Andrew Nicholls. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.